We return to Numbers chapter 14 in our exposition. Numbers chapter 14, verses 11 to 19. We recall that the reports have been given. Ten of those spies have given an unfavorable report that sends a chill and a fright among the hearts of the congregation, whereas only two with faith, Caleb and Joshua, give a good report. But their testimony is not received, and in fact, the congregation, seeing such men as threats, take up stones to stone them, and God intervenes. Let us continue in this portion. Here now, verses 11 to 19 from Numbers 14 as God's word. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them. I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it, for thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For they have heard that thou, Lord, art among this people, and thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by daytime in a pillar of a cloud, and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he sware unto them, therefore hath he slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. The Lord again provoked to wrath and determined to unleash his full fury upon these who have despised his word. He confides in his servant Moses. Moses seizes the moment this prelude to chaos, to intercede with the Lord. A door is opened and Moses rushes through it. Now Moses, as he intercedes with God, he does not dispute uh, the Lord's right to decimate them. But being very jealous for the Lord's honor, he pleads for mercy and forgiveness 
to prevent the blot on God's reputation among the nations and to magnify his gracious character according to his word. And Moses has been here before. Now, it wasn't Kadesh where one could throw a stone into the land flowing with milk and honey. It was, you'll remember, at Mount Sinai when he was gone up in the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and the people, not knowing what had happened to Moses in unbelief and in gross disobedience, they commit gross idolatry and they actually form a calf out of all the earrings and the jewelry that the Egyptians had given them as they left and they they made a calf and they, they assigned the glory of Jehovah to this image of a, of a creature, a humble and a lowly animal. Well, God at that time was ready to destroy the whole nation as well. But Moses stepped in. Moses intervened. It was only by that intervention that they could even continue and did so. But here we are again. And yet, whereas sin abounds, we see grace much more abounding. Let us consider this passage of Moses interceding yet again. Two points, wrath and space. Second, zeal and intercession. Wrath and space. Second, zeal and intercession. Jehovah is angered. He is provoked again to wrath. He wants to give his people a gift. But instead of just taking the gift and instead of finding fault with the packaging or the ribbon on top, or perhaps they think, well, you haven't even given it even a a decent wrapping. You've, You've wrapped it in sandpaper. Well, if I want to put sandpaper around this gift and give it to you, will you not take it, sandpaper and all? knowing that beyond that is what I have promised, a good land. And you've heard the reports. This is a good land. You have seen these massive grapes from Eshcol. But there are giants. And there are walled cities, although not walled up to heaven. Notice how exaggeration warps and twists reality. We oftentimes, because of our poisoned hearts, our unbelief, we don't see reality as it really is. You know, we we feel like we're grasshoppers before these giants. That's how we felt. But did they really interview those giants? 
well, what do you think of Israel? What did Rahab have to say? Everyone's trembling in their sandals over here. But how how our perception goes wrong when we are not in simple faith listening to God's Word and interpreting reality by His Word. And God is done. How long will this people provoke me? The the word there could also be rendered uh, disparaged me, dishonored me, treated me with contempt. How long? How long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them, listen to the complaint of Jehovah. He is complaining. Are you aware of God's complaints? Do his complaints count? Do they have any weight? In the scale of your own heart, How how do God's complaints get measured? Or are they lighter than a feather? Are they unnoticed to you? Because, you see, everything revolves around you. And oh, should we not hang our heads with shame, children of God? How oftentimes our complaints get married and have complaints, and those complaints get married and have more complaints, grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren complaints, and there's no room for the complaint of God. And what are your complaints? Why should a man complain, a man, for the punishment of his sins? When we sow the wind, Should it be any surprise that we reap the whirlwind? But the Lord has a complaint. How long he's had to be so patient. Oh, how patient is the Lord with sinners. How patient he has been. How long will this people provoke me? How long will it be or they believe me? How many more miracles do I have to do? How much more does God have to do for you, my friend, my unconverted friend? Until you believe. What more does Jesus have to do? who before witnesses suffered under Pontius Pilate, fulfilled the prophecies, drank the cup, and on the third day rose again to the witnesses of many, and yet you still won't believe. Why? How long? How long will it be? Perhaps there's somebody listening now to the, to the broadcast and you've been holding out. You know you have. You've not fully surrendered. God 
complains over you. How long? And that you should want to stone my servants. Joshua and Caleb were almost martyrs that day. At the hands of the people of God. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And Christian, you who have begun in the moment of your rebirth, your conversion to begin to understand the complaint of God against you, I have sinned. And there is no one else ultimately that I have sinned against but thee. You have begun to feel the weight of that complaint and it has been resolved in the satisfaction of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross so that God has no more complaints with you. That's what justification is. God is not complaining about you anymore for he is satisfied because you have taken his free gift from the hand of his son. Christian, why will you complain yet about the Lord's fatherly dealings with you? Jehovah is angered, and his anger is not contaminated with the corruption of sin. This is pure, holy anger. But notice that that wrath creates space, or technically, that the the revealing of this wrath before it actually is unleashed upon the people, it creates a space. It opens a door, even just a crack. The Lord, who is provoked to wrath, confides in his servant. He's not talking to himself here. He's talking to Moses. Moses, how long? Moses is the friend of God. Moses is in his confidence. And he complains. He opens his heart to his friend. How long will it be ere they believe me? Observe that the Lord will do nothing, but he reveals himself to his prophets. Isn't that what happened before the fire and brimstone came down on the cities of the plain? Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? He has an interest. He's got relatives who live in those cities. And so he confides to his servant. And in so doing, the Lord opens the door a crack, a door uh, that seems shut and closed. He is determined. I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. But in fact, the door is opened a crack for grace to come through. 
Jehovah condescends to be laid hold of. He stoops down. He gives a rope for Moses to lay hold of for the sake of the people. And prayer, especially intercessory prayer, is laying hold of God. Laying hold of God for ourselves, for others, as God lets himself be laid hold of. Ralph Erskine, in commenting on this passage, said, When God is, as it were, upon horseback, ready to ride them all down with a vengeance, he gives his servants leave to hold the bridle. That's an amazing thing. Moses, only you can stop me. What an amazing thing. Not that Moses has any control of God except that control that he offers to Moses. God in his grace stoops down to let men lay hold of him and particularly that man who has faith. Faith lays hold of an infinite God as God stoops down to let himself be held. And that is why the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, not because of the prayer, but because of the strength of the one being clung to. But it starts with the Lord opening a space. A space, a window. You know, he gives sinners space to repent. But there is also a smaller space for those who are God's people to stand in the gap. As Abraham, who interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah because of the righteous who lived within it. God opens the door. Do you see it? Do you sense it? Do you take it? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Don't wait. Don't delay. He is near. Oh, lay hold of him by faith. And Christian, learn. Learn to cultivate a spiritual sensitivity to what God is doing. Be deep in the word of God. Be on your knees in prayer. And through that, develop a spiritual sensitivity for those windows and opportunities of prayer and intercession where God 
is, as it were, waiting on us to do great things. That's just a mind-boggling thing. He doesn't need us, and he doesn't need our prayers. But he doesn't rush to judge until he tells his servant. Second, having looked at wrath and space, consider now zeal and intercession. Moses is as the burning bush. And every born-again creature, new creature in Christ, the Lord has taken that uh, ever burning, never-dying flame and placed it in their hearts. And that, that's the life, the life of a Christian. It's not. If you have it in your heart, it's not from you. Moses, he moves. He sees the opening. The door is cracked open just a bit, and he moves. The believer is a, is a living creature, active. And yes, there, there is slothfulness, to be sure. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. But that fundamental principle of the new creature is living and it is active. The Lord opens that door. Moses rushes in. And Moses said unto the Lord. Now observe that he does not dispute the Lord's right to kill them all. I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. It was fully in God's rights. He had already told them, I set before you life and death. Hear me. Obey me. And it will be well with you. And it will be well with your children. You see, the Lord's yoke, dear friends, it is an easy yoke. The yoke of sin and of Satan is a very cruel taskmaster. He does not dispute. These people have rebelled against mercies, despite miracles upon miracles upon miracles, grace upon grace, glory upon glory. Everywhere you look, all through the desert, you're walking through manna. And The Lord would not be breaking his covenant promise with Abraham. Why? Because there would be one man left. Arguably three. I'll kill them all and I'll make of you a greater nation and mightier than they. It will be as it were the flood. 
I still maintain my promise to the woman and to the seed of the woman. But I'm going to destroy the rest. And God has done this again and again. God can revoke his favor to anyone in the visible church who disbelieve. He has that right. Not to the elect. Once he, once he has decided in all eternity, there is not one, one of those seeds that will fall to the ground. Blessed be his name. But with respect to the outward, visible church of those who outwardly profess the faith with their children, if they do not believe, and if they fall into uh, rebellion and disobedience, they revoke their right. And he could just start fresh with Moses and his descendants. Moses doesn't dispute God's right to do this. And let us be reminded and let us fear we are replaceable. That's a very fearful thing. We are replaceable. The Jews who could boast, we've got Abraham's blood. Prick me. Have the test. You'll see that I have holy blood within me. What did John the Baptist have to say to that? God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. You are not unreplaceable. Romans chapter 11 gives a sobering warning. Whether it be through apostasy, and it is possible for anyone in the visible church who has professed the faith to turn away from the Lord or to fall away because of the cares of this world. It just, it just gets in. Or maybe because of persecution. You see, it's easy to follow the Lord when, when, when it doesn't really cost you anything. But when persecution and tribulation rains down, then you begin to see the real deal. Beware. You are replaceable. He pleads for mercy and forgiveness. Zealous. He moves. He moves for mercy. Verse 19, pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy mercy. He pleads for mercy. He doesn't insist on it. It is, it is begging. You know, God doesn't owe us forgiveness. But he is a forgiving God. And Moses knows this. And so he, he pleads with mercy and forgiveness even when these people wanted to kill 
him and wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb. That's grace, to pray for your enemies. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the spirit of Christianity. That's what is so revolutionary about Christianity. He prays for his enemies. And we, we are to pray not just for our friends, but we are to pray for our enemies. And there's nothing quite like it to heal our hearts and to enable us to rise and soar above all the nastiness that others can bring upon us is to get on our knees and pray for them. Yet, understand that Moses' zeal is deeper than simply a desire for his comrades, his his people to be forgiven. It is because he was very jealous for the Lord's honor. He wanted to prevent the blot on God's reputation among the nations. Notice this in verses 13 through 16. What's going to happen, Lord? If if the word gets out that there are all these dead bodies in the desert, and the autopsies come back, and it turns out, oh, it was that nation that escaped out of Egypt. In fact, the Egyptians themselves will hear it. For, Lord, you brought up your people in in might from among them. The Egyptians will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, the land of, of Canaan. These people who we know, because Scripture tells us, are actually trembling because of God is with this people. Now they're going to hear reports that they're all dead. The same God that was among his people, who was seen face to face, who stood before them by day in a pillar of cloud and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he sware unto them, therefore hath he slain them in the wilderness. That's the driving concern. Forgiveness and the and the giving of mercy, as great a thing as it was, what's even more important than that is that God's name must be honored. It must not be dragged through the mud as though somehow God just couldn't get it done. What will this do to your fame, O Jehovah? We see how very jealous Moses was of the Lord's honor. Like Elijah, many years later, I have been very jealous for the Lord of hosts. Another way of saying that is very zealous, passionate, burning for the Lord. 
my own name, I'm not concerned about my reputation and how other people think about me. But you, Lord, it's unbearable that your name should be degraded and blasphemed among the nations. It's unthinkable. You see, Moses had the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of zeal, the spirit of a burning jealousy because the Lord Jehovah His name is Jealous. Why did he liberate his people from the land of Egypt? Well, yes, it was because he loved these people, but there was an even greater reason. It was to advance and to glorify his name. Be it according to thy word that thou mayest know, Pharaoh, that there is none like unto the Lord our God. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there to the end that my people should be happy and comfortable. Well, that's involved. No. To the end that thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Pharaoh, for this purpose I raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared through the earth. You see, why does God do anything? Ultimately, it is for his sake, for his honor, for his glory. Don't think that that in any way depreciates the the infinite love and the grace of God, but understand that when God does show mercy and grace, that it magnifies the honor of that mercy and grace. And when God shows wrath, it magnifies the honor of the one whose name is holy, holy, holy. Isaiah said many years later, For my name's sake I will defer mine anger, and for my praise will I refrain for thee that I cut thee not off. For mine own sake, and then he repeats it, even for mine own sake will I do it, for how should my name be polluted, and I will not give my glory unto another So Moses Moses had been swallowed up by the flame of the one in the burning bush. And all those who have true life from this God who is jealous will be zealous and passionate for his honor above all things. More than more than the things that we love, more than our own honor and reputation, more than, than anything that we could possibly delight in, he must receive the glory. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And how does the prayer end? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. 
Again, God doesn't exist for us. We exist for God. And that's why Moses stands in the gap. He stands in the gap. As we read in Psalm 106, Therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath lest he should destroy them. But what was the highest motive? God's honor. Destroying all of these sinners would be just. It would avenge the quarrel of God's broken covenant, but it would throw shade upon the honor of the Lord among the nations and the opportunity for God to magnify His gracious character according to His word would be lost. You see, His grace had been shown uh, up to this point. Notice it in verse 19. Thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Oh, the grace that these people had been shown. What nation could boast of having the Lord manifest in the cloudy pillar? What a privilege, what an honor that God should be among them. That was the great privilege, and dear friends, that's the great privilege of being in the visible church. Rutherford said, That those who are in the visible church, they have great privileges. They are, he says, at the poolside, near the fountain. They dwell in Emmanuel's land, where dwells Jehovah in his beauty, where are the golden candlesticks, and where there run rivers of wine and milk. To such the marriage table is covered, eat if they will. So beware, all of this can be taken from you. But understand, at this moment, there is this profound privilege and blessing being here in the visible church. And above all, that God reveals Himself as the merciful God. Notice that Moses quotes the Lord when he revealed himself to him in the cleft of the rock. Here in verse 18, the Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Moses quotes God his word back to him. This, you want effectual prayers? These two ingredients put in your prayers. God's Word, His own Word, which He loves and He prizes. Second, your desire of His glory ultimately. 
You said this, Lord. And this will bring honor to your name. Once again, Moses must intercede, and he's got to do it fast because the people have stones in their hand. But never mind that, because he knows that he has an angry God before him. One man stands between the angry God and a sinful people. And that's basically the gospel. One man stands between an angry God and a sinful people. But notice this. Not only does he intercede, not only does he advocate for these sinners that they might receive mercy, he does it in the interests of God's own glory. And that is exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ came to do is to stand in the gap between an angry God and a sinful people for God's glory. Father, said Jesus, glorify thy name. And in his high priestly prayer, he says to the Father with confidence, I have glorified thee On the earth I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. You see, we have sinned. We image bearers made with crowns upon our heads. In knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, we rebelled against God. We listened to the serpent. We brought wrath, sin, and death upon us. We have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Shame, shame, shame hangs upon us. And the curse chases us into the very pit of hell. But one has come to stand in the gap and to seek our salvation and the glory of God. May he receive all honor and glory, for his name is that name above every name. Amen. Let us close in prayer. Please stand. Our Master, hallowed be thy name. Lord, may all the earth be filled with thy glory. Magnify, magnify thy mercy and thy grace towards poor sinners through Christ Jesus. And magnify the great power of grace and salvation towards us. Heal us, renew us, and make us effective prayer warriors, O Lord that we might stand in the gap. Receive us, Lord, and we invoke the name of Jesus.
as alone, able to save. Hear us for his sake, we pray. Amen.